You are listening to the Startup Mindsets Podcast, a podcast dedicated to uncovering how mindsets are built from fascinating startup entrepreneurs, innovation leaders, and investors. This podcast will give you a blueprint to thrive in an innovation-driven and globally connected world. I'm your host, Dan Gonzalez. Welcome to another edition of Startup Mindsets Podcast. This is your host, Dan, and today we have a special guest. Uh, This guy has played every position within an early stage company you you know when you think of early stage companies you think people in different hats and sort of uh doing everything um john Murata has spent last year or so as the vice president of agile stacks finance sales and engineering and today we have a great opportunity to get his perspective on what life is like at an early stage company and why he left a stable job joined an early stage company such as Agile Stacks. Give you guys a little bit of background. Agile Stacks helps companies to accelerate software delivery and data science with composable automated stacks. Now, I'm not an engineer, so I'll have John uh, sort of explain that later in the show. (laughs) All right. It's a pleasure to have you here, John. All right. Uh, Let's see. So let me, I guess I'll kick off by saying uh, my first uh, entrance into entrepreneurship was when I was 13 years old. Uh, Whoa. Yeah, I had, um, uh, I guess back then it was called a garage startup, right? Like literally had another garage startup where I did hardware and I helped people basically build their machines up. And then I went off to college and I kind of didn't have to have a business there because I was, you know, focused on studying. Mm. Um, And then um, my very first like true, true startup was after college, I moved to New York City. And this was in the 2000s where this was the dot-com boom. And I worked for a company called Oncology.com. We were building a community for not only people who are cancer survivors, but also people who are going through cancer treatment. Um, because at the time, there just wasn't a great like MySpace version of a community for those people going through that, um, you know, that, that part of their life. So we wanted to be that you know that central place, and that was amazing because it was a it was a great mission statement. Uh, it was also my first time in being a, like in a true dot com startup world, and since then I was I was just hooked. So maybe you could call me a startup groupie. <laughs> I've done <laughs> I've done a couple of startups since then, um, and now I'm at Agile Stacks. So uh, yeah, Agile, uh, right, yeah. Agile, Agile Stacks. They're they're I guess from what I've read, they they've raised a Series A and. You, yeah. you jumped in after they raised the seed? Or? That's right. Yeah, we, so I came in right after we did seed because uh, one of my good friends is the CEO. Mm. And I was at another company, like a really big like systems integrator company. And you know, I was doing well. I, I enjoyed the work. It was great. It's global. And then he goes, hey, why don't you come you know, check me out and see what we're doing in this, in this particular space around you know, infrastructure software? And I said, well, I mean, why would I do that? And I'm, I'm kind of in a good place right now. But he goes, no, just come. You know, you'll enjoy it, and you just, you'll learn a ton. And uh, he was absolutely right. Um, being in, in a very, 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 very early stage startup, uh, there, everybody's doing everything, right? right. Um, when I was at my first dot-com, I just had an engineering degree. All I did was engineering, you know, just, just produced code. I had requirements, and that's all I did all day long. Here, uh, being an early member, an early founding team member, you do whatever it takes, right, to make the company great. And so it's been a great whirlwind experience. I've enjoyed it a ton. Uh, the great parts of it are being able to just uh, think about things differently. Uh, the market research, I really, really enjoy looking at my competitors, looking at people that are in equal space. And then figuring out how to navigate yourself so you're distinct, unique, and people want to check you out. So yeah, how, how did fun. you like get the? Uh, I guess maybe you have a good risk appetite, but how did you get the answer to to jump from large corporation into agile stacks? Well, my my friend who's a CEO, he's sure. uh, he's hard to say no to. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, uh, you know, being <laughs> perfectly honest. Um, so his name is John Mathon. Uh, John is the co-founder of Tibco Systems, if you remember Tibco uh, back in the day. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So he's a technical co-founder. Uh, and uh, Vivek Randanive, which is one of his good friends from 
uh, from his time at MIT. Uh, they were they were the founders of Tipco. So John is very persuasive. He's very you know, inspirational in the way that he looks at the vision of where tech will be. Obviously, he's the you know the patent holder for the pub sub model, which is the you know which is mostly what enterprise service buses are built upon today. So you know when you look at that, you're like, well, how could I not do this, right? I mean, sure. You're with somebody who's just got this amazing amount of brain power and inspiration and just has a vision. So I'm like, yep, all right. Well, let's go. Let's go drive this thing. What What is the vision from John, uh, CEO? How do you communicate the vision for the company to you, or uh, how do you understand it? Uh, so, well, we do it every day. I mean, we're, we're talking about the vision at every leadership meeting that we have because, as you know, tech is just changing very, okay. very fast, and sometimes we have to change, right? So we're changing our messaging, uh, certainly, but the vision stays consistent. Which is, you know, our vision is to make or to to take the complexity of building software and just make it easier for developers and and operations engineers. Uh, basically, that's it. Fundamentally, the entire company, um, other than no, you know what? Every member of our company has some technical degree. Uh, like our head of sales uh, went to undergraduate for engineering. John, engineering, CTO, engineering. I'm engineering. Right. So every member of the company has an engineering degree. So we've all lived through 36 hours of trying to build something wow. and just no sleep. And we're like, I wish there was a way to do this better. And that's where when, when I remember the day that I imagined how when I saw the product and I saw, I saw how it did, it actually made me go back to like a major project where I had to stay up for a good amount of time because something broke. And like, there's just got to be a better way to like, triage this problem. And there wasn't uh -huh. until other than just doing it manually. So when John showed me what they're doing, I'm like, yeah, that's, you know, that hits home because uh -huh. it's solving a problem that I lived through. Yeah, I guess um, some of the people we've had on the show are maybe not as technical or don't have, I guess, engineering backgrounds, right? And I guess that there is a big part of uh, being in a startup where it's, you're working nonstop and you maybe have seen Silicon Valley and HBO where these guys are just uh, sitting <laughs> around a desk and they have uh, uh, it's like they're on a mission to solve, save the world kind of thing. And I guess like what, what motivates somebody to, to do that? Right. Like do they, is it pure love of engineering or is it more of you love your, or you like really working with your team or um, you know, there's customers that are depending on this. Like where, where, where does a, uh, your um, what what gets you out of bed to do that stuff? Yeah, well, I think in like this is my personal opinion, uh -huh. right? But as an engineer or having had that engineering mindset, it's about solving a problem, but doing it in a way that's that that we can design the path and how do we how we solve it. So for us, what we really really enjoy doing is making sure that our product works really really well for our customers, so that they don't have to face the the struggles and the challenges of building software stacks together that they've had to face in the past. Or, I mean, in, in, at a personal level, like I had to deal with it, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So if I go back to my story, so I was working for a customer uh, in, in New Jersey and one of our programs that basically calculated revenue recognition completely bombed out and all of our testing was just like not working. So I began triaging it. Let's, I'm going to guess like 11 a.m. on a Wednesday. And as a consultant, I fly home on Thursday night, right? Wow. So from like 11 a.m. until like 11 p.m. when my India team came on board, I, had, I, you know, I, I said, okay, here's a problem. Can you guys keep diagnosing this? They kept trying. They worked like around the clock. I woke up the next morning on Thursday at 9 a.m. I'm like, hey, is this fixed? They're like, no. I'm like, I'm on it. And then until I had to leave my plane flight, at three o'clock in the afternoon, I flew home uh, to Chicago, and then I got back on my computer as I'm in a taxi driving home, going, "What is going on?" Oh, wow. We still couldn't triage a problem, and we were diagnosing as much as we could um, until I get home, and then I'm like, "Hi, honey, I got a problem. I got to fix." And like, you know, give her a kiss, kiss on the cheek, and I'm like, "I'm back on my computer," and the cycle just went on until like Saturday morning. Uh, uh -huh. and that's, that's not the way you want to live life. Yeah, sure. Sure. No. Um, sounds really exciting though. I mean, fun, exciting, but scary. Like what happens if you don't solve the problem, right? Like, yeah. Um, yeah. So here's what's funny, right? My, 
my team in India, <clears throat> they're like, hey, why is, why is John getting into the code, right? He's, he's like our manager, and like this is our job. And I said, look, guys, th this problem is not just your problem. It's not just my problem. If we don't fix this, it's the whole project's problem, right? Because it was stopping all the testing for revenue recognition, mm -hmm. uh, which is, you know, goes into the financial system. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, guys, I'm here. I'm in it with you. You know, I kind of wanted to, at the time, also demonstrate, like, being a good father. You, 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 you demonstrate the goodness of, of the values by living it, right? So if they're fixing this problem, well, I should be in it too and help them fix it. Um, so that's what I did. And it worked out. We, we eventually resolved it. We found out what the problem was. It was somebody on the operations team who deployed a patch to the server, mm -hmm. and then it flipped a bunch of, like, configuration files. And we didn't know that it was going to do that. Um, and, and so once we figured it out, we're like, oh, okay, reverse engineer it and like go figure out how to put everything back in the right setting. Mm -hmm. And then it took, <laughs> it took all of 15 minutes. Uh, <clears throat> but getting to that problem was yeah. 36 hours. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, John, the one thing that I really liked about your story is that it seems that, you know, either it's corporate or startup, you inherently have this like ownership mindset, right? Like it sends you own the product. You're kind of proud if it's working, like all these things. I mean, tell us about at least your own personal thoughts on what is a what is your own startup mindset, right? Like, what is this mindset that propel you in order to act um, like a founder, right? In any situation. Fair. Uh, that's a fair question. Uh, the one key term, or like, I think that will resonate with any founder is is just accountability. Um, you are accountable for your company. You started it. Uh, you're accountable for your actions, for the decisions you make. I would say there are, you know, there, there are instances where that doesn't always hold true, um, and, and you hear that in the news. Uh, but for the most part, I do believe founders inherently in their heart start a company uh, because they want to be accountable to solving something, right? Solving a problem, solving a business challenge. Uh, and, and we all take it with huge amount of pride when we do solve it, like you said, and, and yeah. everything is like very rosy. Um, and then there are times when we should definitely step up and be like, uh, yeah, I, that, I, that wasn't the right choice at the time, but given the context information, I, I made that choice. So be honest and be transparent about your failures and then you know, go, go course correct it, right? Learn from it again. That's pretty interesting, John. Uh, now I think you, know, you, you talked about your work as an engineer. But now at Agile Stacks, you you got kind of got more of a businessy, uh, I guess, responsibility, right? With marketing and you know you mentioned some sales and finance. How, how does that work in I guess the business aspect of you know uh, kind of trying to get customers and build a brand compared to being an engineer and like what kind of approach do you take since Agile Stacks is is pretty young there? I, I mean maybe like what four years four years old or yeah. Um, yeah. What kind of approach did you take in in uh, getting in in doing marketing and like getting customers? Well, in in since we're in a very technical yeah. uh, space, mm -hmm. one of the things that we're we're always having to do is translate some of the feature values and and, and making it so that it's consumable by the average reader, right? Um, if you go to Grammarly, Grammarly does this wonderful job of rating your writing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and oh tells yeah. You Who's going to be the best audience or like what age is the person who's reading this? And what we try to do as best as possible is try to keep it between like eighth and ninth grade reading level, right? Okay. We've written stuff where it's like college <laughs> level. <laughs> and sometimes it doesn't go over when your website needs to be consumed in under five seconds, right? If sure. people are just scanning your site, they just, they want to see certain keywords and they want to be able to consume it and be like, okay, I get what you're doing. I want to hit the I want to hit the trial button or I want to hit the buy uh -huh. button or whatever, right? Um, so I'm having to f myself always learn how people are reading the content I'm I'm putting out there, and then is it is it making them want to engage us? I mean, from from a marketing perspective, that's always what I'm trying to do: figure out the best way to get my brand to be recognized, but in a in a consumable, easily readable way. For for sure, yeah. Um, and then would you would you say like the that like being being really young, as a young company that uh, the marketing really leads to sales efforts or 
I believe so. Yeah. And so again, we're, we're not consumer product goods, right? right so that's, right. that's a probably a whole different uh, approach. I mean, it's not a whole different, but it's, it's, uh, it's, it's different. It's not right or wrong. It's just different. Um, but from a tech perspective, um, we are just making sure that, you know, we, we don't play the word, the buzzword bingo game okay. <laughs> by just trying to like throw a bunch of meta tags that are you know, like key terms and then like hope SEO picks them up. And then like, oh, great, you go to the, yeah. you go to the top of the page. Um, you know, and that's why, like, even, you know, Google Analytics just, like, disregards, like, the meta tag for description now, right? Because people are just, like, bombing that. So they look at content. They look at, you know, key title. They look at the length of the page. Those are things that we have to learn. And I'll be honest with you, being an engineer, I love the nuance of how I understand that. Because then I try to build my pages like an engineer. Like, I try to solve a problem to be geared so that I can achieve the best possible results. Right? And I do it in a programmatic, systematic way because that's what engineers do, right? Mm-hmm. We take theory yeah. and we apply it pragmatically so that we get to that consistent, repeatable way of, of achieving results. Uh, and, and that's what every day in marketing I, I try to do consistently. Now, I'll admit I failed on a couple of things. because I Is there a lot of copywriting or a copy editing that, you're, that you guys uh, or is it is that a big part of the marketing in, in the day-to-day day there? Yes, we have. We do a lot of um, content uh, work. So my team consists of con- contractors, ghostwriters, and on staff. Uh-huh. We have, for the most part, uh, ghostwriters that do a lot of the blogging content for us. I, I, I sort of set the like the theme, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I give it to them. They define the framework. They give me the outline, and then they fill in the pieces over time. Uh, so that's how we, we really, really like to work. Because I, I mean, they're, they're creative people. Mm-hmm. So you kind of have to let them be creative um, and then guide them according to like what message you're trying to, trying to give, because you know, they don't know my product as well as I do, uh, sure. but I don't know how to write as well as they do. So it's a nice balance between, between teams. That's so interesting. Yeah. Um, technical versus just creative. I think that when people are, are building something that, that there's a unique blend of not only personalities, but working styles. And I guess that is in the startup, right? Like, Aside from being, or you know, you you probably seen the team grow from five to like twenty people or so. And yeah, we've we've grown from the original <laughs> founding team um, to like 23, 25 people. So. What, what's that journey like? You know, just f- feeling like there's there's something you can see change like in terms of the the amount of work that you put in and how, how that whole process happens. There there certainly are. Uh, very good highs when we're all doing well, everybody's performing really, really well. Uh, there are its challenging times when, you know, a hire doesn't work out. Um, but for the most part, here at Agile Stacks, we are, we're very collegial in the way that we interact with each other. Uh, there's a lot of conversation before major decisions are made, which I really enjoy because it's, in some ways, it's consensus-driven that way. Um, but at the end of the day, Right, it's our CEO and our CTO who are the founders, and they're making the the majority of decisions. We also have a board, yeah, and yeah. we do run a lot of ideas by the board. Um, they give us feedback, which has been phenomenal at understanding their perspectives because they see things differently than, than us because we're you know, very very low in the weeds and they're operating at a, at a different level. So it's been uh, it's been good good working relationship really with the board for sure. Yeah, and we're writing a chapter on I guess uh, what's it called. Do you have a personal board of advisors? And actually, I do. I, I was able to meet um, Kenny, or Kenny Partners' uh, Maha Ibrahim, who's on your, on your guys' board. Yeah, she's had 20 years of experience in VC and uh, helping companies reach their uh, successful outcomes. Can you talk to us about the value that I guess she, she's provided, maybe in terms of uh, adjusting your guys' go to market, or maybe like something that you've seen that having a board has benefited the company? Well, certainly. I, I would say uh, with, with Kanan uh, and Maha, we also have Hewlett-Packard Pathfinder as our investors with Abhishek Shukla. Uh, we have Rosecliff Ventures with Michael Murphy. And then with Alumni Ventures Group, uh, we have uh, Castor Ventures, which is MIT. MIT, fund. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh, which is because John Mathon is MIT grad. So uh, we, we leverage them all as best we can. <laughs> the, the wonderful uh, conversations that we have with them are about, well, what are you seeing? What are you hearing? Right. And the perspective that they provide has been great mm-hmm. because 
when you look at Canaan, right, Canaan has a portfolio of companies and some of them might compete with us. And so they have a perspective on, you know, two sides of the coin, right? Because they're getting feedback from, from two companies. Same thing with Hewlett Packard, right? They'll invest in multiple companies that do Kubernetes or containers, right? And because they're just in that space. So the details that we get from what they're seeing has been wonderful. Also, the perspective of their ability to introduce us to uh, their network has been great. Uh, their portfolio companies have been some of the conversations we've had early on in the company. Uh, with Alumni Ventures Group, uh, they have a very, very large LP base. And so we're able to use um, our, our marketing budget somewhat to work with them to do joint marketing events out to the LP and GP community. So it's really been phenomenal to have them uh, <laughs> with us uh, on, on, this, on this journey. Did, did you feel like you were learning a lot of, uh, it seems like you got a, lot, a good amount of VC knowledge. Did you seem like, did you, do you feel like you learned a lot of that while you were in a startup? And like, how, how, how'd you, uh, how'd you um, get so educated on, I guess, boards and was it just they're doing? Oh, through, through uh, well, with the board, that was new. Okay. <laughs> I'll admit. <laughs> uh, they, uh, yeah, I, I had not worked directly or that closely with a startup board in the past. So that was learning on the job. Um, but, you know, I, again, applying the engineering mindset, you just kind of break up a bigger problem into smaller bits and you solve for each one over time. Um, but, you know, my, my entry into venture capital actually probably began with my time at uh, Capgemini. And so uh, there I was actually head of strategy for our CTO. And I, I began the research and actually the proclamation, right, because the model with consulting companies is... You have to have some uh, so, some level of density and traction in the market before you know the scale of a consulting company like a Capgemini, Accenture, Deloitte um, can take advantage of that, um, and vice versa, right? So you know, so Salesforce.com itself would be a perfect example. Uh, there were practices that eventually developed around Salesforce, uh, but in the early days, it was just you know this small startup that was sort of in the CRM practice mm -hmm. until eventually it graduated into a much bigger division. Of, of Accenture and Deloitte that were, was a dedicated practice on its own. But yeah, the, sorry, the idea was let's right. build a microfund that can build those companies up, right, to the point where we have this pipeline of amazing companies that can be the next Salesforce or the next Workday or the next, uh, you know, uh, Zuora, right? That's, that's what was the idea behind my, my, my proclamation. Um, I won't tell you how it ended, but no worries. <laughs> it, it's different. Yeah, yeah I so I guess, that, right. John, the, the question I have is um, maybe twofold. One is, you know, you've seen a lot of teams before. You've seen a lot of startups um, and even, uh, you know, companies. What, what really you think is like this X factor of like high performing teams and startups compared to others? Um, because it's, you know, it, 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 people always kind of describe it as like magic. If you, you just know it, but you don't know why. But maybe you can kind of shed some light on your own experiences of like, you know, in many different teams you've been in, companies, experiences of like, what are, let's say, you know, these X factors that you would at least look for, uh, you know, for, for you, right? Uh, looking at all these. Uh, um, can I take a second to think about that? That's. Yeah. Hey, here's uh -huh. what I saw. Sure. Yeah, so, of course. Of course. Uh, so I think. And, and, and I know this is going to sound super canned, but it, it's certainly the people. <laughs> the people uh, that you work with have, have just got to be like trustworthy. Right? You have to trust them that they're going to get the job done and, mm -hmm. and, and making sure that they trust you and that you yeah. are a good leader. So that's because it's, it's so critically important, right? But uh, <laughs> um, I mean, there's a reason that pe people say that all the time. I mean, until you've actually been in a leadership position where you, your career and your success relies on other people, you may not witness that. But when you get to that point, you're like, oh, yeah, that's exactly what, what has to happen. Now, as a complement to the people, it's also about having good guidelines under which you can empower people to operate, but you don't like squash your creativity and you don't seem dictatorial or, or like a micromanager. So when I, you know, when I lead teams, I sort of give them, hey, here's the vision that I have. Here's my strategy. Here's a few tactical bits of things that's worked for me. 
um, hey, you know, go go have at it. Tell me how it works. You know, let's check in and then let's review your progress. And the simple point being, I'm going to let you run, right? And if it doesn't work, just come to me and and let's talk about the problem. And then get get to the point where we can have a dialogue about how to solve it, right? And, and this is where <laughs> I think somebody told me one day, like in my review, it was like, hey, what are the things that you have to work on, John? Uh, one of them was, you know, don't just jump in and give an answer. It's like, let them <laughs> figure out kind of how you think and then be satisfied with the answer that they give you that may not be exactly how you thought about it. So I work on that every day, which is I have this particular, like, solution I have in my mind. And then before they could finish their sentence, I'm like, yeah, here's how you got to do it. It's like, no, stop. Just let them talk and then whiteboard it and then see where it goes from there. And um, that's been... That's been going well for me. <laughs> so, but it's taken me many years it, to make sense. figure it out. Yeah. So John, you know, what, what is the, the long-term vision with Agile Stacks in terms of, you know, do you view it as just we keep getting more customers or is it like we launch new products or move into new, I guess, areas of, uh, you know, in the market? Like what, what, what gets... I guess this could be for any SaaS uh, startup. Anyway, what, what are like the things that you guys want to achieve and change, or does that ever change, or is that just always the same and in your yeah. guys' approach? The so the answer to change is yes. Uh, I, I I would venture to say we all read this in in any you know, venture book, which is after you go through certain stages of funding there are certain milestones that you have to achieve. Yeah. Right. Um, because then you, for the next round, people are always going to be looking at the net, that milestone chart or, or checklist. So for us, where we are today, um, it's just, it's all about growth. It's all about acquiring customers, making sure that we have uh, a good base of customers that are consistent, that start really using our product, start loving it. And the reason is, and, and, and I'm, I'm going to go a little bit off book here, <laughs> which is, you know, Agile Stacks is, is a wonderful infrastructure, you know, software company. But at the end of the day, what we can actually look at that, that truly drives value is the data that, that we collect from the use of our system. So what I mean by that is we're actually a SaaS product. Um, mm-hmm. So the amount of information that our, our users give us by clicking on different configurations of software, spending time on a certain page, not spending time on a certain page, right? That gives us a ton of data to just add and make features even better for them to just want to use our product even more. So if they're getting stuck, for example, on a certain configuration screen, okay, why? Like, do we add a little help bubble to explain what we mean? Do we add a sample of like, you know, a a token so that they know where to get the token in AWS so that they can have a pass-through authentication method? It's things like that, that because again, we're very technical, we want to continue to evaluate and observe so that we can make the product just even better. And, and that's where this area of just constant monitoring and constant data collection will help us be you know, a, a better company in the future. Why? Because we just add better features over time. Why? Because it drives stickiness, <laughs> right? In sure, the yeah. application. And then why does it drive? And then why for stickiness is because it drives more people wanting to use us. And then that drives you know, monetization. Yeah, so John, I guess for for me, maybe switching gears a little bit, um, you know, and you know, we've noticed from a lot of I guess founders or just people who are you know entrepreneurial minded that there's typically like a experience that triggered this, right? Um, can you share at least your your thoughts or maybe your experience either when you were you know in your childhood or or whatnot that actually you think gave you that change right because one thing we saw is that you know these are you know let's say even the engineering mindset that you mentioned or you know just ownership mindset like that is not usual for a lot of people right um but what you know what what happened i guess in your past that you know that that was important to you compared to others hmm. you're making me go back a while yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> okay okay um so let me start with, with this thought, and then I'll jump from there. So sure. you know, <laughs> being Filipino, um, we, we, we grew up in a very traditional household. Um, 
we we had our grandmother, you know, my Lola. Uh, she was with us in the, in the very early parts of our years um, because you know mom and dad worked, so it was a dual income family, and and we needed Lola there to to, to help guide us, right? Because we were four boys. So imagine four, four boys. Oh wow, four boys. I have, in the two, house I have two boys, and it's wild. No way. Yeah, four <laughs> boys. Crazy, yeah. I'm an only child. Can't relate. <laughs> So, well, imagine four boys running crazy nuts, every, you know, and then don't even give them sugar, right? Because that would oh, just, yeah. like, be worse. So uh, the beauty of having my Lola there was she certainly instilled the traditions of, you know, Catholicism, being, you know, being Roman Catholic, uh, being Filipino, uh, making sure that you know, we, we respect our elders, right? But the structure that she said was, okay, we're going to have one, <laughs> we're going to have one priest, we're going to have one lawyer, we're going to have one doctor. Right? And we're going to have one engineer, right? So <laughs> no way. we had all of our lives planned out for us. Um, but I will give it to the credit of my mother and father, who were very open in their perception of how we can define who we wanted to be. And, mm. and I will say that with the utmost respect to my mom and dad, whom I love dearly. When my mom and dad left the Philippines to come to the States because my mom joined the diplomatic corps from the Philippines to come here and, and join the embassy in Washington, DC. Um, she was the youngest of all the kids. My dad was an only child, right? Being the oldest in, in many respects to all, even some of his cousins. So it's like, okay, you've just flipped the mindset of not only my grandparents, you flip the mindset of many other members of the family because now you're leaving this home base and coming here to the States. So that sense of adventure I've taken with me through my entire life. That's and amazing. Mm -hmm. That's, you know, that's why maybe I'm a bit more risky <laughs> than others is because I've, I've seen what my mom and dad did. And if they are to be the ones that you model yourself after, that's it. Yeah. Super cool. Super cool. That's awesome how you talked about, you know, cultural <laughs> impact on your, like, professional, professional development. I think, yeah, me, me myself, being Filipino-American, how, how has, you know, how has that, you know, you mentioned growing up really Catholic, and I have the same thing. Like, how has that influenced you in work? And, like, I think, like, early development stages, uh, they, they stick with you throughout, you know, your, your life. And I think um, it's really interesting with startups um, or, you know, technology companies or, work that involves a lot of uh effort do you would you say that you know being in agile stacks you, you know your best work has come from there or like it's it's pushed you a lot more than you or thought it would have yes <laughs> okay <laughs> yeah and and i say that with um with with sincerity that working for a startup having the diversity of what you can do the decisions you have to make um but also that, that level of accountability to make sure you deliver right on what, mm -hmm. what you're doing. Uh, that has certainly been a growth area for me uh, because the, the company itself, right? The, the, the image of the company in marketing is so incredibly important. People forget, I think, I mean, if you're a tech person, you, you kind of forget just the brand, right? What brand means because, yeah. Typically, brand like oh, it's slanted toward consumer product goods, right? Yeah, but absolutely. No, brand is applicable to everything. Yeah. Now, you know, again, I, I, I am a, I'm a, I'm a marketing practitioner by experience, not because I, I've been taught to do so. My undergraduate degree isn't in marketing. Mm -hmm. uh, my MBA, you know, I have a, you know, a, a, a side angle to marketing because I, I went to a school that was a sister of Northwestern, but. The simple fact being, even in a tech company, your brand is extremely important. Not only the brand of the company, but the brand of the founders. So in many ways, mm -hmm. I'm actually protecting some of the, 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 the brand itself, of the founders. Why? Because uh, you know, as Earl knows, when you go into a pitch, the, one of the first things that you know, investors are looking at is you know, the team and then the brand of the founder, the recognition of the yeah, founder. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. You've got that Stanford logo, that Google logo. And I don't know if that like makes a big difference. Well, you know, from my experience of doing VC, that's, that's kind of, going back into what you're saying, right? How, how you're protecting their, I guess, reputation. It's, it's, it's interesting because the people we've talked to have, have been the founder, you know, have been, you know, really like 
super in charge, whereas you, you, you and your position, you're not the founder, but you have a, almost the exact same responsibilities. And I think that's a new, a new angle that we, we never really looked at. Well, I, if I could give a piece of advice to those who are looking to join a startup as a founding team member, you know, or just say early, right? Yeah, early, sure, sure. early member. Um, the one thing you got to do is absolutely just build trust. Right? Mm-hmm. Not only are you being brought on because yes, you have the skills to achieve whatever role mm-hmm. you're in, but at the same time, you know, culture is extremely important in the very beginning of any company. And if you can build trust with your founders that they say, oh yeah, you know, we'll give you more responsibility. They're almost they're kind of they're kind of looking for that anyway yeah. because you know two founders one technical one non technical running product engineering marketing HR finance corporate development business development that's like seven things mm-hmm. right and and fundraising too maybe something. yeah I mean yeah that's, that's, that's seven departments you got to try to run it's like they're, they're looking <laughs> for people to trust you know <laughs> yeah because I guess these people will achieve the vision right together with them and i think that's also but one thing that is super important right how has a uh, covid covid19 i guess, played a role in the way you guys communicate or the way you, that the culture is since since there's like less you know seeing each other in person um it's unprecedented right so like have you in your mind thought about if if uh the the effects from the pandemic the effects from work from home or um detrimental or do you how do you see that like detrimental mm-hmm. or beneficial to the company yeah. like in terms of culture in terms of a uh, trust right uh, it's funny you asked that question because i was just on a webinar okay <laughs> like 90 minutes ago <laughs> talking about the same thing like uh, we're, we're discussing marketing strategy so um you know for us um we found like we did an analysis in 2019 uh, at the end of 2019 of where where were we generating the most leads Right, you know, so the, around lead gen, um, we found that um, over eighty percent of our leads were from either events that we attended, right, conferences, mm-hmm. or they were done through email campaigns, uh, and then far fewer were through like inbounds through our website uh, and things like that. So you have to take that knowledge and be like, oh, how do we change in twenty twenty so that we're more effective with the right. tools that we have, right? Um, if you look at Lumascape, right, there are like 7,040 marketing technology companies or tools that are out there. There is a lot. Um, uh, we use probably four. <laughs> so okay. what do you do with the four that you have and how do you make it effective? So well, what we decided to do in 2020 was very, very deeply just drill into a, a segment of our, of our target audience that we felt would be receptive to any and all messaging. So when I say that, what I mean by that is we changed in, um, in early 2020 to do a lot more content marketing, but do content marketing via omni-channel approach, right? Which is hit multiple um, media outlets that are effective and where our buyers tend to be. So, would, 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 so for the enterprise level, would the buyers come from, where, like the, what, what's an example of media outlet? Like not, not exactly Instagram, right? But because it's b2b what's what so i'll use one like uh, there are um you know tech tech zines out there like tech magazines out there oh okay. there are tech blogs out there uh there are analysts out there so for example like tech crunch yeah something like, like that tech crunch, like crunch gartner Price. these like kind of more serious ones right like gartner or idc or something like that like right so there we so so analysts are one one angle um tech magazines are another angle um tech you know digital uh, blogs are another angle so, you know, we, we, we wanted, and then social media, right? So mm-hmm. what we did was we took an omni-channel approach by hitting them in different rates and different um, times, uh, but using similar messaging. So because we're, you know, we're, we're a small company, right? I can't like have a unique message for Twitter. I can't have yeah, a unique yeah, yeah. message for like Facebook, <laughs> yeah. right? So we try to say the same thing, but we hit Twitter up and then we hit LinkedIn up and then we hit like SD Times, which is, you know, a trade magazine. Uh, and then, and then we'll, we'll take, like a pre- uh, like a feature release. If we do like a major product release, we'll call analysts, right? And we'll do a press release, and then we'll hit LinkedIn, right? So we do this like combination of things so that we we're trying to get to where people are, and then hitting our and then putting our message where they're going to read stuff, right? Uh, and it's been working really, 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 really well for us, especially on the Twitter side and on oh, the LinkedIn okay. side. Yeah. 
That's seriously amazing. Yeah, I, I mean, when when people think of marketing, I guess they just uh, think about Google ads, Instagram yeah. ads, you know, and there's this whole angle you know, of marketing uh, like that you're mentioning. Yeah, it's funny because, um, you know, I think you people take for granted that marketing actually has a science to it, right? Uh, it's not just a fancy... Uh, fancy ads or, or, uh, or influencer marketing, right? Uh, there's actually a, I think John, you know, we're learning from you that, you know, there's really this discipline, right? Of looking at like where, how to think about data, you know, what is the specific messaging for all these things. So, um, yeah, I would say as a recommendation for those who are listening and, and, and are in marketing, uh, having a good idea of, changing up you know a b testing you know canary testing different methods um that should be like just what you do all the time <laughs> right don't don't wait every quarter and try something new it's like no just keep trying <laughs> especially in a startup it's like just keep trying different things eventually you'll you'll you'll, you'll find that gold vein right in you know in in the hallway and then be like okay that's what we got to do and we're, we're getting really close to that i i think um we just finished uh, a recent campaign where from one quarter to the next we had like a 70 percent bump in our traffic um that was quarter quarter over quarter uh and then just from month to month that was like 30 percent bump so we're like okay we're finding you know we're finding this gold vein yeah. that we need to follow and it, yeah i'll be honest it took a lot of time a lot of trial and error and but i would have never known it if i didn't try right i mean that engineering discipline sort of kicks in Oh, and by the way, record everything you do. So like, put it in a book. Like, have a matrix. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I tried this, I tried this. Like, be scientific. And it's like, oh, X, that didn't work. Yeah. <laughs> so. No, I think, I think that's good. Um, no, Dan, Dan, any kind of final questions here before uh, I have my, our, our golden two last questions? No, yeah, let me, let me uh, try to think something up. Um, man, it's just, it's really impressive, John. You know, you, can't, you were an engineer first and then, I guess there's a common perception and I'm glad we had, we had brought somebody on who wears, you know, a lot of hats. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I guess there's just that common uh, perception that uh, uh, if you're an engineer, you're stuck with being an engineer or like you graduated with a business degree, you're not going to be an engineer. Like um, for you. Yeah. I'm just really seeing the, you know, the culture that you're describing at agile stacks being as a, maybe like a, in, in terms of like how the Warriors play, I don't know if you watch sports, but you know, Draymond Green plays every position, or like Clay Thompson <laughs> guards everyone. It's, it's 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 crazy, man. Just seeing how uh, you know you play like different instruments for the team and mind blowing. But yeah, it sounds like a lot of fun, and I think that's what also is propelling the company, you know, in the right direction, right? Where it's fun and there's a lot of open mindedness, a lot of truth, uh, trust, and uh, yeah, I, I I feel like a lot of people would be jealous of. <laughs> The, yeah. the, the, the things you're mentioning. <laughs> oh, thanks. Thanks. I, I think well, what is, like what's a, been hard, man. What's, what's been the biggest challenge, baby? Or like, what's been, um, I, I, you don't have to say anything. <laughs> <laughs> your question's a good one. Um, uh, cause I, I kind of knew you were headed there. You're like, you're going to be like these high props. I'm like, okay, how do I bring them down? So <laughs> <laughs> you're the triple double guy, but you're not doing the fourth one. What's going on here? <laughs> um, so, I think, you know, the term that you described in, in a nutshell is probably like utility player, right? Yeah. Um, or, or like special teams, like, you know, in football. Uh, so it, it's good that you can, you know, that pe people can trust me, like, for my opinion. And, and I, guys, I really appreciate the time that you've given me today. Uh, and certainly it, it's, it's wonderful that, you know, I, I've tried a lot of different things. But sometimes um, when, when, when there's like something just specific that needs to get done and you know it's probably done better by somebody who has that institutional knowledge to do it because they've been trained to do it. You know, I feel certainly inferior <laughs> because <laughs> it's like, okay, yeah, you know, it probably was basic one-on-one stuff that you were taught in undergrad. Uh, and, and you know, but you gotta go, you gotta kind of get over it and be like, okay, that was one time out of whatever, however many times of problems you got to solve or, or solutions you got to figure out. So, you know, there are times when I just, I'm not writing that high, you know, and I appreciate your comments, Dan. Um, and you just like, you just got to take it with, you know, with some salt and be like, Hey, I got to be better next time. Right. So go read up, um, go study it or even better, go ask that question and be like, how did you figure that out? Mm. Right. And be honest and genuine in the way that you ask because you want to learn. 
and people will find will always find a fake, right? Uh, so yeah. you'd be like, <laughs> I, I didn't know that. So you know, and you know, it's funny because I tend to like introduce myself to people in the marketing field, mm-hmm. uh, even though I hold a certain title. I'm like, I am not your traditional marketer. So you know, I kind of lower the bar, <laughs> if you will, and then then we can have kind of like a, a more elevated conversation as, as they get to know me and I get to know them. So I don't know if that works for everybody, but I get to, I go to bed at night knowing, you know, I, I didn't try to like make myself higher than anybody else. Cause in marketing, you know, there are a lot of really, really good people. Um, and so I, I don't want to put myself into that category. I just want to make sure that I, I, I can say things honestly and with practice because I've actually done mm. it and, and been there. Hopefully that's Great. cool with you guys. Yeah. No, it, yeah, it's no, super it's cool. Yeah, and I guess you, we always end, I guess, these, uh, these conversations with what you already talked about, which is the continuous learning part. So one question is, you know, you know for people that are kind of struggling with finding their own startup mindset, um, what, what resources, books that you've, you've done, I guess, that's impactful to you, that you would recommend to someone kind of going through this? And then maybe the last one after that is, if you had to give like your parting advice uh, in this conversation of someone that is describing themselves, you know, they want to, you know, hone in that startup mindset that, uh, you know, discovering who they are and really maybe creating something in fact, impactful. What would that be? Right. As your kind of final words in this segment. Wow. I always get scared when you ask me a question, Earl. <laughs> your, your questions are so good. <laughs> So the first one is what would I read or recommend reading for those who want to be a startup founder? Um, so the one that I, I and, and I still have this on my shelf, but it's actually the book by Guy Kawasaki. Um, it's just called Startups. Oh, <laughs> um, and there's mm. another one that I read, which was, um, I'm trying to remember her name. Uh, she's a professor at Stanford. Is it a charisma effect? Uh, no, it's it's um, it's called Troublemakers. Troublemakers. Um, okay. it's a, the history of Silicon Valley. Um, that's always inspired me because I love how she wrote it. Um, I, and I apologize, I forgot the name of the author, but she's a Stanford. She's actually, I think, she uh, she she she's the historian uh, huh. for for like tech in Silicon Valley. Ooh. And I enjoyed it because you could see how people like broke the rules, and yeah. then it ended up being you know, kind of a good thing for them, but like all the trials and tribulations as they went through breaking the rules, right? That, that's, that was kind of neat in the way that I, I interpreted the book. The second question, uh, or like, and, and let me summarize, you want to know parting advice on... Uh, yeah, I mean, for someone, at least your personal advice for someone kind of struggling to find their own, uh, you know, uh, niche or their mindset, uh, you know, for them to propel themselves to you know, either build a company or lead a team, right? Oh, the build the company part. I'll take that one. Um, sure. So I'm going to give you my, what I'm doing right now. Is that okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. please. So um, I've always, so um, I, I've, been, I've been actually an adjunct professor as well um, oh, for my sure. alma mater. So I should have called you professor, professor John. <laughs> Not yet. I haven't earned that right yet. (laughs) (laughs) I'm always, I'm trying to like always reinvent like a part of my brain so that I'm I'm constantly challenging it. Right. So the today, uh, so I'm teaching back at my alma mater in software engineering, but one of the really interesting topics I just, I'm so involved in right now is on quantum computing. So Mm. what I've been doing for the past six and a half, nine months is just diving deep, reading as much about quantum computing, not quantum physics, right? I mean, there's a difference. They're, they're, they're related, but I'm on the compute side, right? Um, and I've gone to, I don't know how many meetups regarding quantum computing. Um, I've actually attended webinars. There's one tomorrow on the topic. Uh, and then I've read, I've bought like a ton of books and just like dived, like immersed myself in the topic of quantum computing. And the reason is because if, if you see that the future, you know, five years from now will be, is going to be different than what it is today, like dramatically, go figure out what you can do to fit that gap. And then that's a company you want to start, right? Wow. Uh, the reason simply being that at some point that need will rise and bubble up and become public. 
and you want to be ahead of that rise because that is where you will see the largest potential growth is when you address during that rise curve of where that problem is being solved. If you wait until the problem has one or two entrants in it already, then you're behind, right? Then you become number three, and then all the VCs would have been pitched by the first two, and sure. it would become the third, you know, <laughs> mimic, right? Or third copy. So you want to be ahead of the curve. And for me right now, I'm trying to, so quantum is like many, many years away, but I'm trying to get ramped up to the point where I can be credible enough when I start my company that I can get into that ecosystem and then start to drive conversation around, you know, uh, what I'm trying to do. Is that Was that okay? That was fa fairly generic. I, I'm trying not to give away what no. the company's going to do. No, no, you don't know, have no, to. Of course, of course uh, not. This is actually a great yeah. example. I think this notion of like, if you can see the future, why not actually go towards it, right? Um, a lot of people, they just stand still and watch. But uh, it's very few people like you that actually is trying to like, run towards a very uncertain future. So that's pretty awesome. Yeah, I love that quote. Run towards an uncertain future. Because... <laughs> ah, well, that's why that's why startups are built, right? Uh, let's see the thesis in there. I totally agree. And that's where anybody who has that risk appetite, um, they should be listening to the podcast. They need to talk to you, Dan. They need to talk to you, Earl. Sweet. <laughs> I think, you know, that, I, I think they should just reach out to people and be like, Hey, here's an idea I got, right? Um, oh, find a mentor, by the way. I have like two mentors in, in the quantum compute space that I just like ping ideas to all the time. Wow, yeah. So find somebody that can give you feedback on the ideas and then like that, that'll evolve over time. But you gotta, you gotta, you gotta get out of the, the house, <laughs> you know, like reach out yeah, to yeah, people, yeah. connect through Earl, connect through Dan. That does it for another episode of Startup Mindset's podcast. If you guys would like to get in touch with us you can find us on linkedin and please subscribe and like our linkedin page uh it would be at these startup mindsets and also if you guys want to get in touch with earl or i more personally maybe you have questions or comments about the, the, anything that you heard today uh go find us at our linkedin pages um and if you do want to follow me on instagram that is dg underscore four five thanks again guys and i'll see y'all in the next one